I'm Kevin Koval, poet and co-founder of Louder Than a Bomb, the Chicago Youth Poetry Festival. We have thousands of alumni at Louder Than a Bomb. Students who come through the festival end up in many different spaces and careers. Louder Than a Bomb asks central and simple questions to engage and re-engage young people in their own education. Who are you and where do you come from? We put those questions at the center of the classroom. In 2001, the towers had fallen, and at the same time, the city council in Chicago was trying to pass an anti-gang loitering law that was locking up kids of color for hanging out in groups of more than one. And so in that moment of fear, this group of poets and educators wanted to create an alternative, a culture of hope. And because we were in writing workshops across the city, we wanted to bring those young people together to speak to and with one another about the conditions of their lives. Started with a handful of teams in the basement of the Chopin Theater, and 13 years later, it's the largest youth poetry gathering in the world. We took the name Louder Than a Bomb from a public enemy song. On the record, it takes a nation of millions to hold us back. I'm a big Public Enemy fan. Chuck D was one of the first people who called themselves a poet that I really resonated with. Um, and, and so in that moment in 2001, when we were thinking about this gathering, it seemed appropriate to imagine the work we were doing at a creative and cultural organizing level, um, thinking that the stories and words of young people can ultimately be more powerful than any weapon lobbied or used against them. And so we wanted to pay an homage to, to that force and that movement, and so took the name Louder Than a Bomb and put it on top of the Chicago Poetry Festival. My name is Jamila Woods, and I participated in Louder Than a Bomb in 2008, 2009, 2000. I grew up in Beverly, uh, where I was one always, you know, one of the only black girls in my class. I didn't really feel like I fit in like all black situations or the all white situations of my neighborhood. And so going to Ignatius, where San Ignatius, where it's very Catholic and very much like people knew each other from the parish that they grew up in. And so I was kind of outside of that. When I started writing poetry, it was very cathartic. It was a lot about dealing with like traumatic experiences or like trying to figure things out about myself. When I write something that I, I had to write, like it almost feels like I didn't write it almost. It just kind of came out of me. My name is Malcolm London. I participated in Loud Than a Bomb as a high schooler from 2009 to 2011. I'm from the west side of Chicago. I went to a school in the north side and... If you've ever driven to the west side from the north side or vice versa, you can see how the city is uh, different in a lot of ways and particularly unjust ways. Um, and going to high school in Lincoln Park, I began to uh, ask questions. And a lot of the times I asked my notebook. Some days I was like, yeah, you know, I'm going to write poems and be cool and go to class and 
get straight A's and then talk to my teachers and, you know, feel happy. And then some days, 10 people are murdered in Chicago. And then I'm like, what good is are these grades? What good are, the, are these tests? What good is it if my cousins and my friends and, and, and people I see grow up on my neighborhood are dying? Why you talk like that with fake bass in your voice? Like you got foundation. Why you talk like that? Speak up like police lights on street posts. Up like that, like surveillance. Can you see the Cabrini green growing in your esophagus? Talk like you waiting to be gentrified. Why you talk like that? Like coffee. Black but not strong like they like day coffee integrated obeying the cream talk like a playground in your lungs where you hide park and breathe and bravado and belligerence i see you native to these west side americas i hear the colonialism in your dialect where you grew up where you belong loose squares is a mantra slurred words like liquor stores on the corner of your cheeks. See your tongue crisp and crossed like your mama raised you on crucifixion like you know she pray you never come home in a coffin like she know these predators pray more often often you speak like you can make institutions disappear like magic like voodoo in your veins like you dream of new order or New Orleans. Talk like you immune to Katrina, this hurricane of injustice. Why your slang move like Mississippi did migrated into your saliva? Dixie line diction stirred in kitchens in pots of collard greens, turkey necks, and sweet potato pie. You sweet talk. Like you met at the intersection of Arsenio Hall and Fresh Prince, that transit authority, that transition to 26th in California is easy for you. You grew up spitting bars, taste buds, grew up on police brutality, dished out in Cooked County. You spit like you thirsty, like you been wading in the water of parasites and low income. Your mouth didn't dry, suppressing all that struggle. The thesaurus in your throat clogs like no other word but struggle. In other words, you talk like you never been north, never been freed, like you ignored, like you need to be heard, like your story has a history you aren't allowed to know, like you got something to say. Speak up. Talk like that. My name is Demetrius Amprin, and I participated in Louder Than a Bomb from 2006 to 2008. You know, I started writing at a very early age. Uh, I think I started writing at like eight, nine years old, and I just used to, uh, me and my friends, we used to write battle raps to each other um, at the crib, like when we didn't have anything else to do. Um, and then, you know, I always kept like journals upon journals underneath my bed, uh, even to the point where my bed would like slide off because there was so many down there. 
But, you know, I really took writing seriously um, when I was 16 years old. My, my best friend had, um, had uh, been killed in a hit-and-run accident by a drunk police officer. And then, you know, I just needed an outlet for that. Writing just became therapy for me. This is uh, Nate Marshall, and I competed in Ladders and a Bomb from 2003 to 2008. Ladders and a Bomb put poems at the center of my life as a young person in a way that it would be sort of hard for it to be without something like Louder Than a Bomb existing. You know, when I was playing basketball, like, we practiced every day, and and you, like, go home and you watch the games. You watch, like, the Bulls or whatever, um, and you're, like, about it constantly because you love it. You have, like, shoes that say that and shirts that say that, and, and Louder Than a Bomb, like, created that for me around a literature, and it also created, like, a peer group where I um, had other people who were also engaged. So I wasn't just like operating in a vacuum, like in my room alone, but I had, you know, friends who I could call and like geek out about, you know, what, whatever book or whatever poem. My name is David Gilmer. I participated in Louder Than a Bomb uh, from 2004 through 2006. I am currently a teacher at Oak Park and River Forest High School and run the Spoken Word Club there. It's one of those kind of nights when the sound of crickets blends with baseball cards locked in bike wheels. Father just told me, we're going to the flea market in the morning. Flea markets are my thing. There's some sort of magic in haggling the price of something. I always like to talk with my hands. Wake up extra early, go to Denny's. I loved Denny's back then. Still ate meat, and lawsuits hadn't exposed the racism which was swept underneath old menus stored in the back booth that doesn't face Ridgeland. This was father-son perfection. After eating, head down Austin. About to make the right onto the expressway, red light stops us before crossing a bridge. As the car idles, dad leans over and says, Son, in the next few years you're going to go through a lot of changes, but I'll be there for any questions. Father-son awkwardness. Neither one of us wanting to be there, stuck before crossing the bridge. Switch. Hip-hop history lesson. First chapter, graffiti. Sane and Smith been destroying all toys since 1986. Painting America's favorite surname on the crosshairs of Brooklyn Bridge bricks. It's nothing new, they said. Got hit with the first million-dollar lawsuit for graffiti? When kids so plainly pushed textbook puberty from cross-section ovaries, they were accused of destruction. Move against the waves, they say, and you're bound to get dunked. That's true, but bigger fish need more water. We have to swim. Switch. 16 now. My friends and I go out, throw up writing to ridicule the wrist of society cause our salivating sickle sins will not have razor blades writing requiem rhapsodies on our names. Permanent records tainted with aerosol, not blood spots. Fifth grade teacher told us to ask questions but ready red tongues were quickly shut up by pink blushing chic. She taught us about sex but never mentioned what it is to love. Father said he'd always be there. But he wasn't ready for me to choose hip-hop over jazz, graffiti over poorly proportioned pictures of crucifixes. Now I see his arms closing like drawbridges, locking in boats that have grown too big for rivers, need to be in oceans, but have always been taught to be afraid of waves. Come to the bridge. Lights green. Take three steps, look back. Three more, and we're over. We crossed more than just one bridge that night.
we crossed more than just bridges that night. Listening to that piece eight years later is uh, pretty bizarre for me. It's like looking at old photos of yourself, and you're like, oh, man, did I really look like that? I mean, it's just so much has changed in good ways, I mean, since I wrote that, but also just so much of the experience of writing that poem, performing that poem, is still, like, fundamental in where I've ended up and what I care about now. So I kind of, in that piece, talked about how I was really trying to focus my anger into art, you know, in some way. And that's what I try to do now is, you know, a teacher is to help kids take anger, frustration, you know, loss, whatever they're feeling, and channel it into art. My name is Missy Hughes. I am an English teacher at Team Inglewood, and I've been a LTAB coach since 2007. 13 years is a long time to teach. And I know for a fact when we were in our second year after that was that was a rough year for me and at, at our school and I think I probably would have burned out had it not been for LTAB and maybe had to move on from teaching and just seeing this and seeing the kids and having the ability to connect with them and then kids from all over the city really rejuvenated me. I mean, it's probably why I'm still teaching. It's the thing that I was like, yes, this is why you're in it. This is what all the hard work is for. This is what these kids need to be doing and exposed to, and you want to be a part of that. My name is Jocelyn Hathaway. I teach at Noble Street College Prep, although it was Noble Street Charter High School back in the day. I've been with Louder Than a Bomb since the beginning, from the very first until the most recent of 2013. One of my favorite slammers was the bravest kid I've ever known. And he used that slam stage to not only speak of his abusive father, um, who, who hurt his mother quite frequently, and he nearly threw up when he was saying that, but then he actually had the courage to come out on stage. And then he had the courage to declare that he was undocumented on stage. And this kid didn't just say it and people you know, applaud politely. He started a movement. People all of a sudden owned who they were and they looked up to him. My name is Dominique James. I'm a senior at Walter Payton College Prep. I participated in LTAB from the years 2009 to 2013. I really like the team part of it. I like having the team over my house and we eat dinner, we write poems, and we cook for each other. And that whole family environment is really cool. Of course, I like the competition part, seeing all of these other people. I like being on stage. It combines two of my favorite things performing, and making friends. My name is Eve Ewing. I participated on the coordinating end of Louder Than a Bomb in Chicago from 2002 until about 2009. I went to the slam for the first time when I was 15, maybe 16, and kept going every year until I graduated high school and then college, I think maybe my first or second year teaching as a CPS teacher was the first time that I didn't go and see the slam and, and volunteer. And um, there aren't really any other things in my life that I've held on to in the same way. And I think for me, it just felt really indispensable. Uh, it was like a family, it was like Thanksgiving or Christmas or something, like it's not optional. 
it's something, it's like a place where you go, where you see the people you love that you don't get to see all the time, especially as I got older. You know, I had fewer and fewer occasions to see those people. And it just felt really important to come out and support. It never felt like a choice. We've had thousands of alumni at Louder Than a Bomb. You are now listening to some of those voices. Jamila Woods, Malcolm London, Demetrius Amprin, Dominique James, and many others in the hour ahead. Stay with us. We'll be back in a minute. Spaces that young artists are creating in Chicago are intentionally challenging the traditional borders and boundaries that keep us segregated. The community at Louder Than a Bomb is a unique and rich crew of every imaginable kind of kid and every imaginable kind of story. For 90 minutes at a time, you finally have the opportunity to hear what the city sounds like. One of our girls, Milana. Dave Steber and Missy Hughes are the teachers at Team Inglewood High School on the south side. Really shy and quiet in class, and then... In Dave's room, she would just like spit these poems. Like he came and grabbed me out of my room when I was teaching. He's like, "You gotta listen I, to Bellotta." I actually didn't know she could talk. Like, I mean, honestly, <laughs> yeah, like she was yeah. that quiet in my class. Like she never talked. And then she did a poem, and we're like, "Oh, okay." Yeah. yeah. 
a statuesque beauty, caramel smooth, honey almond sugar, I'm crazy, sexy cool. I strut with hips swinging to the rhythm of my chest, tightly squeezed with hips of gold in the fit that suits me best. Denim frosted seamless fiber snuggle to me close, a godly temple to my skin, my luscious rumper roast. The precious jewels from pressing spools and cakes at every curve, my feisty stance with sumptuary and embraces all my nerves. I'm a outstripped honey whip special gift cornbread thick soul goddess with a sassy steaming mustache. I comb reality through my roots and shake truth out of my hair. An ancient sweaty sheen defines my chubby maple cheeks, shoulders back revealing lines my womanly physique. I pimp walk fiercely down these streets. Friends say that I'm a trip. I bet these nervous haters somewhere biting their bottom lip. Under clusters of light, I slither on stage with Vaseline smooth glam, reminding every lucky beholder how incredibly bad I am. A crescent gold halo frames my angelic face. Bloodhound fellas cut my shield because they want to get a taste. My cocoa blaze and sizzling touch melts black ice in my hand. I'm proud to claim the title of the baddest chick on land. Thicker than most dudes on their knees, fist scrapping in a brawl. For the craving desire to hold like I've got gold hidden in my crawl. Society worships line of phrases from the faint smirk of the fine. Brothers watch as broad and hips arc into the perfect grind. A butter whip chick sets tight, everyone is fine. Diamonds fit to twinkle through this gorgeous thick madame. That five-star chick to do is get sick, in fact, I'm a perfect dime. I crack my whip and decked out lips and fellas fall in line. Gloss keeps the eyes on me, fit like a prize on me. Islanders can't deny. I am God's fourth gift to man right after me, myself, and I. You grow tired of my swag because your subconscious leaning? You crack me up while my good looks got me fighting off these demons. Brothers try to reach me on the throne of royalty. Black thoughts whirl in the sky. Shock them, shake them, make them see without a doubt divinity in me. No gratitude or elite thanks. I'm thinking they should pay to gaze upon my beauty traits in every unique way. I can't help the way my coffee iris perceive the world as it does. I catch kisses with mittens times the strength of a thousand hugs. Don't waste my time with shadow men who second-guess that gumption. My sharp, unsightly silhouette leaving pulses rising and thumping. My platinum and gray pedestal ascends higher through the sky. My rambunctious haters sweating below as I'm waving them goodbye. Through freezing negative temps and icy blizzards, I'm the hottest. Your blessed and faithful eyes have just beheld a black, defined goddess. They took us to young Chicago authors for a field trip. Jamila Woods is a graduate of Brown University, a former Louder Than a Bomb College Slam champion, and recently moved back to Chicago to be a core teaching artist at Young Chicago Authors. And that was the first time where I really felt the thing that people who come to spoken word really say a lot of the times is like I felt like the room listening to each other in a way that I didn't really see happening anywhere else, especially in high school Um, and and at my high school where I didn't really feel like I fit in or talked to anyone or like had many friends. Uh, So that was a really like pivotal moment for me. I, I just was in love with performing and writing poetry after that. Demetrius Amprin is a graduate of Morgan Park High School, Valparaiso University, and is now the director of marketing for Young Chicago Authors. When I really started listening was when I when I came aloud in the bomb and I saw that these kids, these other people from different parts of the city, they have their issues too and they have their problems too. And they are not 
they're relatively not any less important than mine. My parents have always been supportive of my writing. One of the times where they got a little uncomfortable, um, this, this piece I wrote called Different when I was talking about, it was talking about my experiences in college. Um, and um, I think they, it was the first time I saw my mother get uncomfortable because it was a line in there um, about a family member um, and their drug problems. And she got really taken back by it because, you know, I was sharing very intimate and personal detail. Um, that was the only time that I ever saw my mother say, you know, you should probably reconsider that or you should look at it differently. Hey, Ma. It's good to hear your voice. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, I got food. No, nothing's wrong. It's just that going to college, I'm realizing I'm different. Different. They see another person when they look into my eyes, close their shoulders real tight, hold their heads up high like they're better, like they're scared, like they just don't understand, I don't either, but I don't judge you till you judge me, got kids looking at me like why I can't eat at McDonald's, cause five dollars gotta last me another ten to Mars, they see the look in my eyes and they can tell that I'm bothered, leave the black kid alone for we turn on all us. Wonder why my daddy's struggling at the county hospital sitting. Why they got the common cold and they getting more attention. Spit it how I live it. Spit it how I feel it. At the county waiting. At the county waiting. Come to class stressed. They like, why don't your daddy just use his benefits? Not a care in the world. I let it go because of ignorance. Step in social class late because I had to work a double time. Step up in the door. I see the just like a nigga eyes. You just like a nigga you. You dressing like a nigga too. The don't sit next to me look, so I sit next to you book. Wide open and you think I'm gonna copy. I get a better grade, you study it on nice, sorry. I hear doors lock when I step up in the parking lot. They looking at me crazy when they see the type of car I got. Cops pull me over like, um, whose car is this? Oh, don't worry, that's the point zero one percent. Police chief guest speaker say I'm giving off the wrong images, but I am embracing my do-rags and my Timberlands. I am embracing my do-rags and my Timberlands. I am embracing my do-rags and my Timberlands. Mommy, can you tell me why they looking at me different? Mommy, can you tell me why they looking at me different? Mommy, can you tell me why they looking at me different? Is it cause I am embracing my do-rags and my Timberlands? Financial aid like you owe $3,000, credit or debit? Um... How about layaway? So now I'm sitting at the edge of my chair trying to bargain. You can have this. I'ma pass this class without chapter six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, 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 eleven. Why this girl in my social class say poor people are just lazy? They are what they are because they just don't want to make it. They are what they are because they just don't want to make it. What the hell do she know? She just a little rich girl. Rich girl. She don't know what it is to be piss po, piss po. Guy in my class like, we should cancel affirmative action. It's making a white man look bad because he's at a disadvantage. How can he manage? I said maybe he was just so far ahead and we catching up a bit and he's scared of equality so he's shaking in his shh. My sociology teacher told me I think good sociologically.
I told her I think urban economically white people scared cause I heard him say a black joke white people scared cause I heard him say a black joke oh my god I think he heard us say the black joke and he shut up maybe he hear us say the black joke black joke stayed inside election night because I had to KKK ran through hit the brown underneath the covers cause I had to Mommy, can you help me? Please, can you answer me? Remember five years old when I asked you what a mutt was? See, they calling me black kid. They saying I'm Mexican. Let my beard grow and now they saying that I'm Arab. Now it's weird jokes like bombs over Baghdad. Yes, I'm an outcast. Not because I want to be. Mommy, can you tell me why they looking at me different? Mommy, can you tell me why they looking at me different? Mommy, can you tell me why they looking at me different? Is it because I am embracing my do-rags and my Timberlands? I am embracing my do-rags and my Timberlands. I am embracing my do-rags and my Timberlands. They see another person when they look into my eyes. Close their shoulders real tight. Hold their heads up high like they're better. Like they're scared. Like they just don't understand. I don't either. But anyway, Mom. How was your day? When she heard me actually doing it on stage, she was like, you know, that's perfect. Keep that in there. And I think that they, they built an understanding along with me that it's important for me to get these things out because there could be other youth going through it too. I think there's a misconception that everyone from Oak Park grew up middle class with two great parents. David Gilmer is a graduate of Louder Than a Bomb and Oak Park River Forest High School. He currently teaches at his alma mater. Oak Park has uh, these two communities, and, and River Forest, has these kind of two communities uh, that are in each other's faces, or even more. There's, you know, the upper middle class Oak Park, there's working class Oak Park, and then there's there's struggling Oak Park. And... In our school, it's it's like going into, you know, two different schools. There's the AP Honor Track Oak Park, and there's the College Prep in Lower Oak Park. And these schools, like, really, these students don't interact. And what's awesome about our club particularly is that we have probably by far the most diverse club. Uh, it's 60 students. You know, I don't have the numbers, but you look around the room, it's pretty equal in gender. It's pretty equal in terms of race. So one of the things I like to compare Louder Than a Bomb to is church. Malcolm London is an organizer and teaching artist at Young Chicago Authors. 20 years old, he's a graduate of Louder Than a Bomb and now works in the city engaging the next generation of young writers. What you ultimately have is a bunch of young people coming together and reading their own testimonies, right? And you kind of just feel a spiritual kind of feeling to one another, right? And you feel very close-knit. I think that's kind of what Louder Than a Bomb does. It's a bunch of young people who, who have to worry about not only in some parts of the city violence, not only police, not only being locked up, not only their school closings, but also just worry about everyday things like being insecure and, and worrying about who likes me or what clothes I wear or, you know, what kind of girls like me or if I can be on the basketball team. And, you know what I mean? Those kind of stories also connect people. And then you get in a room and you start to talk about it and, you know, you see how beautifully different and similar we are. And that that is a, uh, you know, is a heightened feeling, I think. It is very intimate, you know. So it's somebody you would have never met, you know, and then you begin to see faces and 
you begin to want to change the stories you tell and the ones you hear. Dominique James is a senior at Walter Payton College Prep. I started really trying to write poetry. It started because I'd been on the um, Poetry Foundation's website every day just reading poems, reading poems, reading poems, and stumbled across a Lucille Clifton poem. And I was like, wow, she just did something so amazing in eight lines. It was her homage to her hips. These hips are big hips. They need space to move around in. They don't fit into little petty places. My poem was in response that it was after that. I've always known that I have a lot of different qualities that are at battle frequently. Like I'll be really sad, but I'll be really happy at the same time. And hips to me was all about embracing the differences that are in one person. These hips are conflict, strong with bone, fragile with skin. During rough walks, they easily bruise a blue amoeba. These germ hips make the men sick, mindless, confounded by the contradictions in these hips. These are black hole hips. Swallow you whole. You are lost in my darkness. These light hips illuminate past a tantalizing twinkle this brightness is blinding these hips see red vindictive raging on a mission hips to open for no one mouth wide cackling hips the crunch of them grating against you bold bones clamoring to get close is maniacal laughter, ecstatic to be colored crazy. These are blues hips, hued, bitter, determined hips, never quiver. These are fist shaking, won't be broken hips. These hips break you back to your mother's hips. Lonely, backwards, thrashing hips. The only touch they know is the bruising of refusing to let any one of you get close. But you'd best believe these hips stand strong, smiling in solidarity, happy that hips don't need nobody. Truth is, these hips need to not need nobody need to not need nobody to stand these hips have to stand alone these hips must be strong sturdy with bone bruised but never ever broken I think the themes are the same, but I think each new crop of kids 
they're teenagers. They're discovering this for the first time, just like they discover love for the first time, and it's overwhelming. Jocelyn Hathaway is a founding teacher at Noble Street College Prep. She was also involved in the first ever Louder Than a Bomb Chicago Youth Poetry Festival and remains a dedicated coach today. They feel the passion associated. They feel the pain associated with it. So it comes by to the same things, the violence in their communities, the, the lack of equality, the discrimination that occurs, um, the trying to carve out their own identity, you know, fighting against not just cultural stigma, but also societal stigma. And they all kind of still own it. Nate Marshall is a graduate of Whitney Young High School and Valparaiso University. A lot of times I think that spoken word, so-called folks, um, are a little bit more creative in their thought process about how to get their work to people and about, like, and about the work. Most people who've, like, done slams or, like, been sort of a part of that world knows that, like, you can build skills and, like, be really good and whatever, and you're still not going to win everything. We have a, more, a clearer, in that community, a clearer sense that um, everything is a stage, and if this stage isn't the one that elevates you, there's always the next one and there's always the next one. And I think we're a lot of times thinking more broadly about how we can interact with different kinds of communities um, in getting our work out. And I think that sometimes in academic spaces, um, people are a little bit more limited in their thought. They think, okay, journal, manuscript, maybe a chat book. They have a pretty narrow view of like what their art can do. Um, and I think that's often to their peril. Eve Ewing is a PhD candidate in education at Harvard University. Along with Amanda Torres, she is also a principal organizer of a Louder Than a Bomb festival in Boston. My whole pathway into the field of education was very, very heavily influenced by my involvement with YCA and Louder Than a Bomb. Because before I ever became a teacher myself, my very idea about what constitutes teaching and what good pedagogy is and how people learn was very much influenced by my time at YCA. It felt like only natural that a place like Massachusetts would have the same need as we had in Chicago because um, not necessarily to the same degree but as Chicago, but Massachusetts is definitely, you know, a place where people have wildly different life experiences based on the census tract or the zip code that they live in. Um, there are very affluent communities out here, very privileged communities, and there are communities that are really struggling and so it felt only natural that uh, we would come along and kind of sew the pieces together. Um, our first year was last year, and we sold out our final showcase. And I just remember standing outside the door as people were lining up waiting to get in. And I was just literally in shock. I was just staring at them, and I, I wanted to say, like, who are you people, and why did you even come? Like, we've never even done this before. You have no idea. Obviously, there was a thirst and a need and a, a craving for this to happen. And it was really a, if you build it, they will come type situation. It just feels like the sky's the limit. In 2013, Louder Than a Bomb had 110 teams, 900 poets, and 10,000 Chicagoans in its audience. We have seven other cities and states doing Louder Than a Bomb festivals this year, using the model of hip hop poetry and spoken word to do the work of community organizing. In a moment, you'll hear how the festival and the space of that community propels young people forward into the work of their lives. We'll be back in a minute.
Students who come through the festival end up in many different spaces and careers. Some end up as writers for sure. There is an emergent generation changing the face of American letters. But also, louder than a bomb graduates go on to teach and sing and organize, and also some come back to work at the festival. Lot of the Nabam has become a year-round experience helping to change the culture of schools and what is considered a cool and viable high school experience. Dave Steber and Missy Hughes. For a while, like some of the basketball players last year were talking about how they went to a different school for a game and the, the, kid, the te- other team and some of the players were like, well, you guys have a basketball team? We know about your poetry team, but we don't know about right. your basketball right. team. And <laughs> we actually have a pretty good basketball team, but it was just it, our poetry is just the kids' poetry is so well you know, kind of established now that in our school, it's like that's a very good avenue to go if you're not going to play a sport. Demetrius Amprin. When I finished Louder Than a Bomb, we had been featured on HBO with uh, Lost Count, Nate Marshall and I. We did this poem. Edward Lucas, 16. Eddie, Morgan you were the Park first to say hi to me. First day of school when I stepped in with Bugle Boy jeans and a hot top fade and I saw you. Possibly the coolest dude to ever grace elementary. By fifth, you made the eighth grade basketball team and I was cool by association until sophomore year when we got distant. September 22nd, 2006, eighth period. We really need to hang out. Yeah, that'll be cool. I'll see you later, D. September 22nd, 2006, 8.30 p.m., maybe a little later than I thought, when your path ended on Vincent's road, run down by bad luck and a police officer. Christopher Watson. Lives like these shouldn't be shortened. Sentence fragments of a future. And in the 14 days it took us to write this, we've had to add more names to this list. Because in this city, before we blossom, we must weather storms unforecast because every intersection can become Virginia Tech. So excuse me if the news be missing my emotions. See, being brown in bigger Thomas's town makes you endangered. And in the past two years, I've seen over 60 native sons set in the graves. I guess this is the part where poets produce plans and we don't have any. In Chicago, anyone under age 20 is a target. And I don't know how to do more than be afraid. I was really excited for that because going going into college, you know, that poem was at like 150,000 views. It's like at 380,000 views right now on YouTube. And it was crazy because that, that piece made me want to do art professionally because I had so many kids I had so many people hitting me up on Facebook in any way they possibly could saying yo that touched me you know and it helped me at a when I was at a bad place in my life or you know keep doing that a teacher saying you know I showed that to my class and they really want you to come in talk to them or it's helped them so much and for me that was just an amazing thing because I had just come out of this competition that helped turn me into you know the person I am a human being with all these emotions and stuff and now there are other kids saying you're helping me get through what I'm going through. If I had my way every single slam would be group pieces. Jocelyn Hathaway. I just find that is the most generous creatively, the most generous um, intellectually. I think it ex- allows not one star. They all contribute to be part. And I talk to the kids about this as a whole, that I don't care about anything else. I'm like, I just want this group piece to knock everybody's socks off. I don't care what happens, but they will know we were there. 
35% of Americans think that the First Amendment goes too far. 76% of the American public believe the media coverage is biased. 33% of American society admits that war coverage should be restricted. More than half, half of Americans believe the government should impose restrictions on the net and TV. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or bridging the freedom of speech, speech of the press, press, of the right of the people, people peacefully to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Living in a surreal world where nothing. nothing is heard, nobody screams out what they truly feel, America hides behind the political correctness of what not, not to say instead of what to say. But your lips are so shut. Hiding your voice or making an impact because you think we are all equal. Lips are pressed upon as machines that are programmed. America is winning the war on terrorism. Iraq has weapons of mass destruction. With our colors strapped on their waist. We, we are, are proud. But unaware. Unheard. 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 Dry throat. Dry speech. Fools to ask why we aren't free. Smear all color and break free from your dark place where you are still not safe. The freedom of speech isn't about speaking your mind, but about choosing whether or not to listen. Can, Can you, you hear me? me when I silently complain about yelling? When I whisper profanities to the public? When I speak against you behind your back? What, what do you, you really, really hear? hear? Just do it. You're hired. You're fired. Do what I say, not, not what I do. You have the right to remain silent. silent. And obviously, you do. 35% of Americans think that the First Amendment goes too far. 76% of the American public believe the media coverage is biased. 33% of American society admits that war coverage should be restricted. More than half, half of Americans believe the government should impose restrictions on the net and TV. Words are thrown around like garbage rolling across the windy city streets. Talk is cheap. Spoken word is truth. Four voices as one. My truth, his truth, her truth, our truth, truth, and truth hurts. Can, Can you, you hear me? Or do you hear only what you want to hear? The unspoken silence is deafening. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? But then again, silence is golden. Wait, no, silence is not, not golden. It's only gold plated and useless. You say, silence is golden. You, you say, say, if you can't hear, see, or speak no evil, then evil doesn't, doesn't exist, exist. But, but you're wrong. wrong. You say, ignorance is bliss. But, but you're, you're wrong. wrong. Ignorance is not, not equal bliss. To reach bliss, you need rich and pure voice. So say what you mean and mean what you say. Because if there's no, no voice, voice, there will be no, no choice. choice. Don't be scared. It's spoken word. 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 That was the group piece from Noble Street Charter High School in 2005, Can You Hear Me, by Frederic Batista, Susana Mendoza, Jorge Mena, and Lydia Munoz. Eve Ewing. Last week, I had coffee with a mentor of mine from Chicago who was in town, and we were talking about the slam, and he's a, a, a very esteemed education professor and thinker, and and he said, um, he said, Poetry Slam is perfect pedagogy. It's everything. It's got it all. It's got bringing kids together. It's got activating their prior knowledge and the things that they're already interested in. It's got community building. It's got social capital development. It's got, like, like civic engagement, <laughs> you know. It's got everything that you could want out of a teaching and learning experience. Here's Eve's brother, Matt, back in 2005 with the poem, Johnny 511. Johnny 511. Age 1-7, just a young black male trying to be home before 11. 
Catches glares and awkward stares from every direction. Since his strain from Range Rover's waiting at the intersection. Johnny just finished playing hoops at Lincoln Park. The last thing he wanted was some trouble to spark. But still yuppies grab their purses because his skin's real dark. Johnny's a smart kid. He's on the debate team. Honor roll, student council, test scores, shine and gleam. But he still stays out west. Rocks his pants below his butt. He has braids in his hair and he walks with a strut. Johnny's almost there, he could see the armistice stop, but uh-oh, five here come the cops. His journey's almost through, just a block or two, but here comes Shy's finest with nothing better to do. Johnny 5'11", age 1-7, just a young black male trying to be home before 11. Crooked police make this land far from heaven for young men like Johnny trying to be home before 11. Excuse me, young man, is there a problem, officer? Yeah, you look lost, son. Come here, let me talk to you. Do you have an ID? Yes, I do. Well, let me see. Did I do something wrong, sir? Yeah, you met me. That's a nice coat, son. Who'd you steal it from? There was a sale at Marshall's. I bought two and gave my brother one. Oh, we got a wise guy. Put your hands on the hood. If you make one move, I'll beat you bloody, understood? What did I tell you? What do you mean I didn't move? Smack. I'm not in the mood. The handcuffs left Johnny's wrist red as he lay in a holding cell handcuffed to a stone bed. For dinner, he had bologna and bread. His cellmate was a heroin addict, screaming obscenities. He was only there for seven hours, but it seemed like infinity. It wasn't until 5 a.m. when he got to meet his mom. He was sad, scared, and angry, but he tried to stay calm. It was 6.13 when Johnny met his mom, Sally. His eyes soaked like sponges from the harsh reality. No stain with blood from the police brutality. By the time he got home, it was a quarter after seven. Just a young black male trying to be home before 11. Have you ever gotten business while minding your own business? Sometimes I'd rather run into a skinhead instead of a 5-0 fist, I have to admit. Some people are an easy target for cuts, but for others, avoiding a being is harder robbing a Dunkin' Donuts. So when your rights are missed, your record's scratched, your dignity tattered the gate to your future unlatched. Who do you go to? Where do you stand? How can you ever again wave their American flag in your hand? Should you run? Should you stay? Should you throw your pride away? Should you take down his badge number and try to make him pay? Or should you put your hands behind your back? I said put your hands behind your back because you are under arrest, right? Because you have committed a crime, right? You didn't, didn't you? While also decapping all the other few. I'm sure Chicago police officer wouldn't just strike a teenage boy for no reason. So this goes out to all the discharged police brutality cases floating in bads numbers. I just hope one of these men will wake up squealing like the pigs that are from the slumbers. I guess you have to give props, though, because the witnesses walked away without a peep. But now the night to give a bridge poor cop is as bruised and battered as the black sheep. Nate Marshall. I am uh, finishing up my first year at the Helen Zell Writers Program at the University of Michigan, getting a Master's of Fine Arts in Poetry. For me, a big part of it is knowing what the establishment is and knowing your stuff um, and knowing the establishment just as well or better than the people who are trying to reinforce it. You know, like reading widely um, so that you can say, like, I appreciate what, what Wallace Stevens or what Frank O'Hara or whomever was doing, but you should also look at what you know, most deaf is doing or what, um, you know, Drake is doing um, because they're doing similar things. They're doing different things at a similar level. I'm often struck by like the similarity in the way that these communities are sort of built, like either in an academic space or in like a, you know, whatever you want to call the more spoken word or, or like community space, you know, because I think that people are dealing through the same issues. They might just have a different sort of vocabulary, a different kind of language for it. Malcolm London. 
Yeah, so I started to see those inequities, right, and then realized very quickly that a poem uh, is, in fact, a great way to express it, but it's not the only way to transform a city by any means. And being a lot of the bomb, you, you know, you kind of feel like, yeah, I'm doing social justice, but really, actually, I am because I'm telling my voice, but, like, I'm not because I'm not going out there and organizing. So as an artist, I felt like, you know, creating art, uh, wasn't the only thing, you know, to fight uh, systematic racism or the, the, you know, the inequity that I saw in my city. Because, you know, I felt like words can be very powerful, but if your words don't have legs, then what good are they? A stage is only a stage, and it can amplify something, but if you, you know, you got to have something to amplify. And right now, we're trying to just get folks organized around and numbers around ending the misuse and overuse of standardized testing. Missy Hughes. When I get frustrated with the politics of CPS, uh, we've connected with so many like-minded or people who challenge, you know, sort of our thinking on what's happening in this city uh, with education. And so that's really great, too, because I don't feel so isolated in that or that it's just our little school. So we meet people who organize and who, you know, want to really make a difference in our city and not just go in and do their job. And so it, it, it also pushes my thinking that way, too. Jamila Woods. I'd say a large part of the reason why I wanted to come back to Chicago is because of the community that I made here. And, you know, because I was talking about my high school experience not being the greatest and like building that community for me, but LTAB definitely, and Young Chicago Authors in general, definitely was that space. And so I really am eternally grateful to that. And I think that's why I'm still here. I'm in a band now called Milo and Otis. And I'm Milo, the vocalist in the band, and Otis is the producer slash bass player slash guitar keyboard player. Our first album was called The Joy. When writing it, we were both just kind of fresh out of college and just realizing that we were going to be artists, like for real, like as our jobs. And so what, what does that mean? Because everyone's always like, oh, you're a poet. Like, that's awesome. Like, cute. Um, but, but really, like, it's hard, you know, and, and it, you think, like, you're doing what you love. So, I mean, that's the most, that's the greatest blessing. But at the same time, all of the little, like, pieces of jobs you have to like puzzle together in order to do what you love is you know it's a struggle being joyful doesn't mean you're happy every day but it means that you know there's something greater that you're working towards that you know allows you to go forth Louder Than a Bomb continues to grow and attempts to collectively record and report the stories of Chicago from the perspectives of its young people. It's an all-city event with an all-city vision and voice. Find out more information about the organization that runs Louder Than a Bomb at youngchicagoauthors.org.
This hour was produced and edited by Bill Healy. Thanks to Breeze Richardson and Daniel Ash at WBEZ. Thanks to all the staff at Young Chicago Authors. I'm Kevin Koval, poet and co-founder of Louder Than a Bomb. In this hour, you've heard from Jocelyn Hathaway, Dominique James, Malcolm London, Jamila Woods, Dave Steber and Missy Hughes, Demetrius Amprin, Eve Ewing, David Gilmer, and Nate Marshall. Thanks to them, and thanks to all the students, teachers, organizers, and poets who make Louder Than a Bomb a year-round success. Yes, so